Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. Today, I have a special guest who is returning to the show again, and she is one of my favorite spooky storytellers. She is the author of several interesting books on Michigan history and legends. Some of her titles include Wicked Grand Rapids, Wicked Ottawa County, and Ghosts and Legends of Michigan's West Coast, just to name a few. Amber Rose Hammond has been actively researching legends, ghost stories, haunted places, and other unusual and macabre topics in Michigan history since 2000. And she's back again today to help us get into the Halloween spirit and also talk about an upcoming conference that she's going to be speaking at in Mount Pleasant next month. So welcome, Ambrose. So good to have you back. Yeah, thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. I think this is my, my fourth time on the podcast. <laughs> I think it's number five, if I is count it? correctly. Oh, but my. yeah, it's been, a, it's been a while. I should probably just uh, reserve a room at your house with my microphone. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you've been a, a guest on the show many times, but for some of the new listeners that may have missed the earlier episodes... Can you uh, tell them a little bit about yourself and how you first came to be interested in writing books about Michigan history? Yeah, I, I, I've always, I grew up just with an interest in anything spooky and supernatural, paranormal, all that stuff. I just love it. And around the year 2000, 2001, I ended up stumbling upon a group of ghost hunters in the West Michigan area called the West Michigan Ghost Hunter Society. So I ended up joining them. And we went to cemeteries, we did private homes, businesses, and we were just, if someone had something they thought was paranormal going on in their, in their house, we went in and investigated. But over time, I realized I was more scared of the living than the dead. And I will, always, I will continue to say that line for the rest of my life, because that's the truth. There was times when we would walk into situations where I'm like, nope, 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 this is, this is not a ghost problem. <laughs> this is a mental health problem. I'm not qualified for this. And because there's, of course, a lot of people that jump to conclusions about something going on in their home. And it can be something as innocuous as like bats in their attic or a raccoon. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, so but I fell in love with the stories behind why things became haunted. I love doing the research, uh, trying to find some kind of connection to why something was haunted, if there was a crime or something tragic or just fascinating history that stuck with the area. So that's how I came into writing about this stuff. And then the History Press back in well, 2008, nine had contacted me because they were starting to do a new series called Haunted America. And I had a little website called Michigan's Other Side out there just with a collection of stories for people to read about haunts and legends and weird stuff in Michigan. And that's where it all started. And I've been doing it. So they reached out to you. Yeah, that's, yeah. Wow. Yep, yep. They were just looking to expand into that ghostly realm, which is now, I think, honestly, one of their biggest, biggest chunks. When you go look at their catalog, um, there are so many ghosts and legends books um, just for the whole United States. And it's wonderful. There's certainly an appetite for that with oh, yeah. uh, the, the reading audience. And it makes sense for them. I am. You know, I've had um, Nicole Beauchamp was on just last mm-hmm. month with me, and she's another ghostly writer, and she's had all kinds of wonderful stories to tell. And I've had a few other guys from Michigan, uh, some other history press author, authors from uh, different stories. A lot of them are true crime and other things like that. But uh, 
the ghostly tales are always fun. Um, so out of the collection of the many stories in your books, and you've got like four or is it five books now? Four. 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 Okay. So which one strikes you the most as suited for the Halloween season? I decided I want to talk about a monster because we, we always talk about ghosts and haunted places and all of that, but we don't often get to talk about the potential of a real monster lurking in the woods. And that to me is like a little more scary <laughs> and dangerous mm-hmm. sounding than just this ethereal ghost floating around. So, right. and this fits your podcast theme with Southwest Michigan. So yeah. back in, and, and it's funny, which I love. So I love the little combination of the spooky and the hilarious, but this one goes back to the sister lakes area in Van Buren County. Mm-hmm. Back in the 60s, police were starting to receive reports of a bizarre monster in the area for about, uh, been about, I, I saw one report that said about five years, reports were trickling in about this strange, large, upright, tall, glowing-eyed creature. And on June 9th of 1964, everything started to escalate with the reports of this thing. Evelyn Utrup owned a farm and she had two farm workers that were getting ready to leave that night. As they turned on their car, their headlights were shining towards the barn and the guys look and they see this massive, they described it as at least nine foot tall, standing there, dark, shaggy, long hair, and these large, extremely large reflective eyes just looking back at them. And they froze. They were both hunters. They're very familiar with all of the Michigan wildlife in the area. And they got chills because they're like, I don't know what we're looking at. I don't know what's looking back at us. And they took off. So Evelyn ends up calling the police saying, hey, something's lurking in my property. You got to get people here. Check this out. And from that point on, a monster hunt started to begin uh, that just caused chaos in this small little area because the Sister Lakes is mostly like it's for tourists in the summer. Like people go there to relax. So the Sister Lakes area is like it's a cute little tourist spot. People go there to like boat, relax, Mm -hmm. camp, fish, you know, all of that. So after the report came in about the monster, over 200 cars drove into this small area hoping to see the monster and this continued night after night so on that first night when police had to end their they they were going there like into the woods searching for this monster they were doing it at night hoping to catch the reflective eyes and they had to totally stop their monster hunt because they had to literally direct traffic so if there was something going on and like if there was a dangerous weird creature that could be a threat. It didn't matter. They had to direct people out of the area. So the next day, uh, this was June 11th in the morning. There was three young, like three young girls walking just along the road. There was woods along the road and their ages like 12 and 13. And they claimed that this monster just stepped out into the road. And they had the same thing. They said it, it was seven to nine feet tall, had this black face, all this hair. One of the girls, they said, fainted. So they had to, like, revive her to try and run away quick. Mm-hmm. And it didn't threaten them. It didn't do anything. It just stood there. And they mm-hmm. claimed that it, quote, looked like a bear, but they weren't sure. 
and it's we all know what fair looked like so it it's like this is where it starts to get interesting what are people seeing that they can't quite define it and the right. fact that it's standing upright which bears can do but it's not common that they they just walk around like that yeah so as time's going on with this story this this ends up turning into business for the Sister Lakes area. And it becomes national news. There was all these cute little headlines like Beast Town booms. <laughs> and <laughs> it's marketing madness for this area. Uh, yeah. After everything died down, a lot of the shop owners claimed that was the most money they had made in like years. And wow. so the restaurants were doing things like monster burgers, monster sandwiches, get your monster beer. Uh, the Dwajak Theater ran a horror movie double feature. They increased the gas prices and named it Getaway Gas, which I think is wow. so cute. <laughs> and then you could do things like there was a Monster Hunters kit that you could purchase for $7.95, which I think in 64, that's not super cheap. Mm -hmm. so I, had to, I had to find out what was in your Monster Hunter kit. So you yeah. get a flashlight. Because if you're a monster hunter, you only go out at night anyway. You get a wooden mallet, which I like, I don't, mm, for that close encounter, I guess. You have got <laughs> one arrow, only one. I, I guess you had to supply your own bow. And you got a baseball bat. I'd probably use the baseball bat. <laughs> and you also got a net. I don't know how big the net provided was because if, you know, this thing's nine feet tall. Um, but uh, a lot of the hardware stores were putting that out and they were selling so I thought that was so cute. Wow. But the other threat, again, like I said earlier, I'm more scared of the living than the dead. Mm -hmm. So all of these thrill seekers are coming into the area with loaded guns. There was three teens that were from Detroit that were caught monster hunting with this massive Magnum handgun. Uh, wow. There was a group of baseball bat wielding kids that was chased out of the woods by police, probably had their monster hunter kit. Uh, there was... A dep well, a deputy, I love this quote. Deputy Andy Chavoose stated, quote, I'd feel safer if it was just me and the monster, unquote. After police stopped a car filled with eight teenagers armed with tire irons and clubs one night. Wow. So again, there is monster running around, but also a bunch of crazy people with weapons. So the, naturally, hmm. the locals are getting annoyed. Migrant workers they're reluctant to go back into the strawberry fields where they were working. A farmer's little Shetland pony was even shot at. And that nowhere near looks like a monster. So that's when the locals started going, okay, like enough is enough. And when a local beer distributor started a $1,000 reward for the mm -hmm. capture of the monster by June 22nd, the police were like, mm, no, no, we're not going to put a cash prize. Like that's not going to happen. So. No. They started squashing this. The mania died down after a couple of weeks, but there were people that packed their bags and left the area because of those reports that had been tr trickling in throughout the years. There were people during this time that were sleeping with loaded shotguns in their home by their door. Uh, it was cute because some of the articles, because it's the 60s, yeah. they were like, women, women are not leaving their house without their husbands. <laughs> right, right. So, that's kind of cute. But was it real? What were they seeing, you know? Yeah, so yeah. some of the theories was a bear. Obviously, that was number one. Mm -hmm. And at this time, the Southwest Michigan, West Michigan, there's more bear that people report seeing now. But back yeah. in the 60s, it wasn't as it wasn't as common for bears to be to be coming down. So mm -hmm. elk, elk was another one. Yeah, I was thinking moose when I thought about it because, you know, somebody misidentify a moose 
right? Looking at it the wrong way, you know. But. And the other wild one was escaped circus gorilla. I mm. think I think if a circus lost their gorilla, and I don't even know honestly if circuses had gorillas, um, that one <laughs> I, like that was mind boggling to me. So one of the options out there, if you're going to look at this through a paranormal lens, is good old Bigfoot. Right. Because Bigfoot is very popular in Michigan. Any 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 state with your little areas like ours, like very wooded. Uh, of course, we have Dogman. Dogman's our other lovable little creature that runs up mm-hmm. around northern northern Michigan. So, in Bigfoot research, there's something called mimicry, mm-hmm. and mimicry is when a creature mimics sounds that are very familiar. There, it's some other sound, and the Sister Lakes monster was known to make a the sound of a baby crying wow. and also a goose honking. And this has been discovered in like other when people are the Bigfoot research out there that, that researchers that do this, they, they've encountered this often. These different especially the baby crying sound, which is so spooky to me. I can't mm-hmm. imagine being outside at night. You're maybe passing by some woods, taking a walk. I don't know. And you hear a baby crying in the middle of the dark woods. So yeah. as a human, you're going to maybe have, be like, oh, we got to go check that out. Like, what's going on? Did someone abandon their kid in the woods? And right. oh, there's going to be a nine foot tall, terrified monster waiting for you. So <laughs> I don't know if that's something that they would use to lure people. And I, I joked because I was like, well, a goose honking, like, that's not very scary. And someone once was like, have you ever encountered an angry goose? And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, they can get pretty aggressive. So it's kind of spooky to just think like, yeah, what if there was one of these elusive Bigfoots, you know, Sasquatch, they, they go through, they have a bunch of names because they're seen and spotted and talked about all over the world. Again, that is more spooky to me sometimes than just the ghosts of dead people floating around that can't really do anything but move a pencil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they never found any evidence, not that I know of, unless they hit it or killed them, killed the monster and never talked about it. But, and, and this never came back up again after this in, in the sixties, there was never like a little uptick where, Ooh, it's the seventies and people are still seeing the monster in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Nope. They're seeing it again. It just sort of had its moment in 64 and that was it. Yeah. I think they still have a monster parade in one of those towns there, every year. There there's like, that celebration of the historical story, which I love because places like uh, Point Pleasant in West Virginia, which is home of the Mothman, Mm -hmm. you have the Van Meter visitor in uh, Van Meter, Iowa. And they, 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 these places that have had these monster sightings over the years are starting to celebrate it because it's a, it's a niche thing. People love it. It's fun. It's quirky. And I know there's a, I think there's some places that are associated with, uh, UFO touchdowns, um, mm-hmm. kind of monsters associated with or seen with UFOs that are also celebrating just their weirdness. So there was a, there's a Sister Lakes Brewing Company, and I know they have a beer called, the, I think, the Dewey Lake Monster, because the I just call it the Sister Lakes Monster, but it's also known as the Dewey Lake Monster. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think there's also another story from Fort Custer uh, recreation area where there was a Bigfoot sighting out there because now when you go to Fort Custer, they have a big 
cut out of Bigfoot near the entrance that they oh, said, they started fun. doing a few years. And I think that was cited. I, I came across the story about that because uh, I was doing a lot of filming out at Fort Custer and I saw him put up the Bigfoot thing. And what's the story? And uh, I think it was in the 1980s or something like that. Some kids saw some kind of creature like that near the water. And then um, that was the only sighting that they've seen, but it was enough to create the whole nostalgia or the whole uh, monster fever thing going on there for a little bit. Oh, but yeah. not as, not as big as the sister lakes one. I, that is, there was definitely almost like Roswell, New Mexico, you know, oh, <laughs> over yeah, there. It, you know? It's, yeah, it was such a zoo and, and it did, it made mm-hmm. national news. It wasn't just, just in the Michigan papers. Um, the AP ran with it and it was appearing like all the way over in California, New Mexico. Like everyone was reading about the monster that was stomping around Southwest Michigan. Yep. Yeah, I think the only other big story that I can think of when I, when you were telling that that I remember from Southwest Michigan is the Hillsdale Lights. Oh yeah, yeah. Did, yeah, did yeah. you ever dig into that? That are, that's are you, one that's an interesting story. It was I forgot what year that was, fifties or. Are you talking about the nineteen sixty six case that ended up having um, the? It was like UFO related. Yeah, UFO related, yeah. and they called it swamp gas yes. or something like that. But it yeah. was the these girls seemed to be pretty adamant that there was these things were moving around. Oh, and, uh, the, the, yeah. this, that story is actually a really big deal. It's one of the largest mm-hmm. um, cases in the United States. And when that happened in 1966, it wasn't just the college girls that reported the lights. It was police officers, firefighters, like very down to earth, yeah. normal people that don't typically tell lies or stories or exaggerate the truth. And so as these reports are coming in about all of these strange lights in the sky, uh, the government got involved. And at the time it was Senator, uh, he was a Senator. It was uh, president Ford who was Senator Ford at the time. Mm -hmm. The government was doing project blue book. uh, Project blue book was the government's way of trying to uh, research and identify UFO stories. If someone had a a report or saw something, someone from project blue book would look into it and decide if it was legit or the person just saw a satellite and it was nothing. So project blue book shows up. It's run by J Allen Hynek at the time who ends up going on to become like a mega star and researcher in the UFO world. And Mm -hmm. as he was the one who said, Oh, it was just swamp gas. And he had to come, he admitted in later years, he had to come up with something to kind of just placate project blue book to just sort of shut it down and the people in the Hillsdale, Ann Arbor area were just offended. Like, yeah. that's like, wow, we did not just see swamp gas. Like, this right. was something beyond that. And then uh, Senator Ford was the one that was like, wow, yeah, this is a, the people of Michigan and this area deserve a better answer than swamp gas. And to this day, yeah. it's one of the biggest, most important UFO cases in the U.S. And, of course, UFOs have been in the news a ton lately. Uh, right. It's, you know, the, they're having uh, government hearings on it. Uh, it's, it's crazy. And they're declassifying a lot of that stuff now and it's coming out. So it's, uh, it's becoming more common knowledge and no, there is no national panic. Nobody seems to care. (laughs) They're just curious, you know, that's the thing. I think for a long time in UFO world, they'd be like, Oh, the government's hiding it because the the people will panic and and bedlam will ensue and, and everyone will just start burning everything around them. And, and as it's been trickling out, and that's that's where they say the keyword trickling, that maybe by this slow drip of information, you're going to kind of de-escalate the panic 
that if one day they 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 land on the White House lawn, everyone's going right. to go, oh, I guess we thought this. Okay, we're cool with this. Right, right. <laughs> you <know>? Exactly. <laughs> So in your book, Ghosts and Legends of Michigan's West Coast, there's a story in there that I don't believe we've talked about on the show. And it's the one called The Ghost of Ironsides. Yeah. Can you uh, share some details of that story? A little bit of ghost ship is perfect yeah, for Halloween is. season, you know? And I, ghost, sh- like ghost ships and shipwrecks are so spooky to me. Whenever I've been in a boat where the water is crystal clear and you can just see down and mm-hmm. I, if, Oh, if you see like wreckage or things that aren't supposed to be there, it, it's just chilling to me. I've, I've spent lots of many of our, many hours on YouTube watching mm-hmm. videos of like Titanic and just, right. it's just so eerie. And so the Ironsides was one of these old steamers from the 1800s and it had only been on the water on for 9 months. And this is oh. this is this is on Lake Michigan and on September 15th, 1873, the Ironsides was bound for Grand Haven. I think they were either coming across the lake from either Wisconsin or maybe Chicago. And it was one of those days where everything starts out great and then a violent storm starts to develop over the waters and people don't If you are not familiar with the Great Lakes, I know most people listening to this show are, but Mm -hmm. just in case, like, there's no joke. It's not a cute little lake. It's oh yeah. when I first saw the ocean, I was like, oh, it looks like Lake Michigan. Like, the ocean to me looked no different than than that big lake. So storm turns violent, and the ship struck ground as the because they were already kind of coming into grand haven and they were trying to get into the channel into where the grand river dumps out into uh the lake and the ship struck ground a couple times and then the hull started to take in water which extinguished the boilers so you you lose your propulsion mm-hmm. and uh, there was five lifeboats on the ship and the captain i think his name was i think it was henry sweetman yeah, Harry Sweetman. Mm-hmm. He did a good job getting everybody onto the five life, lifeboats. He unfortunately, like the captain, they say, goes down with the ship. He did go down with the ship. He did not make it or get on a lifeboat. And unfortunately, uh-huh. only two of those lifeboats made it to shore. I, there's no definitive number. I don't know if it was just because they didn't have good records about how many people were on the ships or just when they collected the bodies, but they estimate that at least 20 to 30 people died from this. And the bodies just, a lot of them just started floating ashore um, on the Grand Haven beach and people had to gather them and they had to literally put them on ice at the DM. It was at the time it was called the D and M railroad building over time, if anyone's familiar with Grand Haven, it became the Tri-Cities Museum. But it, the building is still there to this day. So you can kind of walk around and know at one point there was literally bodies from the Ironsides being put on ice. Wow. And it was kind of the New York Times, because this was a big deal when it happened. So the New York Times even reported on it and said uh, the ladies of Grand Haven took charge of the bodies and saw them properly coffined. So. Wow. You got people on the ship, though, that are from their families from all over. So you had to wait for, you know, people to come in and collect the bodies. So what else are you going to do besides put them on ice? Yeah, didn't one of the lifeboats 
get found near the water or near the beach and it was upside down and there was a woman that was strapped inside of it. It was that, a, a strange. That was a weird. So there was, there was a researcher in Grand Haven that I was talking to when I was working on this book and he had done a lot of just looking into the iron sides and what, what kind of went wrong and then all the weird things that he claimed that he found this article or research that there was when they went up to one of the lifeboats that had washed up on the beach, he uh-huh. saw like a, a rope and he pulled on it and it was connected to an arm. And when they flipped the, the boat over, I guess there was like, I don't know if she was, I think she was the stewardess of the ship was tied to the bottom of the lifeboat. Wow. I, because this was my first book, I really wish at that time I would have went and kind of tried to be like, uh, we're going to double check your resources here. What, where'd you get this from Bob? And to right. this day, I kind of want to go back and explore like where he was getting this from, because yeah, I mean, if there was, and God knows what was happening during like the whole panic of trying mm-hmm. to get off this ship as it's sinking. So yeah. I don't know, but it's a spook. It's spooky. Nevertheless, to think if there was something weird and nefarious going on during during the you know evacuation of the ship. So as time went on, people kind of forgot where this shipwreck was. I mean, the story, mm-hmm. I, the history was there, but the shipwreck, I, I know for a long time, depending on the, uh, how much water was in Lake Michigan at the time, sometimes right. they'd see like parts of the ship sticking out because it's about four miles. Uh, I, I want to say North. If like, if you go out to Grand Haven's lighthouse pier, it's about yeah. four miles out from that. Okay. And so every once in a while they would say, oh, we would see part of the iron side sticking out. And then the water levels just went up and it was just lost. No one knew where it was. And hmm. during this, in the sixties, some, at some point, some divers found it again. And it's considered an advanced dive. If you look up photos of the iron side, you can find stuff online. It's covered with like the, oh, what are those zebra mussels, all that wow. kind of stuff. But it's really cool that it's sitting there. But again, it's so spooky. So there is a ghost story though associated with this tale because in august on august 6th uh it was the end of the coast guard festival which is a big deal in grand haven and so Mm -hmm. all of the coast guard ships the big ones come in and dock and people can go on tours um on them and the coast guard is leaving that night after on a saturday it probably was a saturday that night they're taking off the festival's done and it was the coast guard icebreaker mackinac so this is a big one yeah. And as they're going into leaving the Grand River, the mouth of the Grand River, heading into the lake, a fog starts to roll in. So they're driving, steering the boat into this fog. It's nighttime. And suddenly the entire crew hears this distressed voice of a little boy calling for help. And every oh. single person on the ship was convinced they heard this. So this was no joke at the time that they radioed back over to Grand Haven to the Coast Guard station and said, uh, we need assistance. There's someone out here. We can't find them. It's foggy. Uh, we think someone's in distress. And so I guess before 9-11, the Coast Guard had like a paper thin budget. So mm-hmm. to ask for that extra help was, like I said, a big deal. And they never found anyone. And what was spooky, though, was as they were going around the area where everyone was convinced they heard the little boy screaming for help, it was right over where the Ironsides is, like right over the shipwreck. Mm-hmm. And it was Wes, oh, I think it was maritime author Wes Olazuski that found this story out. And what was spooky was in the New York Times, 
there was a story about a little boy. So this is this quotes directly from the New York Times. The little boy of Mrs. Valentine, whose body came ashore, was dressed in a sailor suit of blue, had light hair, blue eyes, and beautiful features, and with the exception of paleness to the face, looked as though he had dropped quietly to his last sleep. It was a wow. scene that would have touched the hardest heart to see the sorrow-stricken husband and father who arrived from Milwaukee this morning when he recognized his wife and the little boy and knew that his whole family had been so suddenly taken from him for forever. Um, So there was a little boy that had been on the ship. We know that. And so who knows? Because in the realm of the paranormal, whenever there is distress like this, tragedy, I don't know if something gets left behind in the environment that just can replay itself at a certain time. That's the idea behind what's known as a residual haunting. Why someone might go to an area where that tragedy happened and they always see something get reenacted again. Um, Mm -hmm. Someone being chased by someone shooting them and then they just disappear. It's like looking back into the future. And and if we can see it visually, if we can, and we hear it, I, that's one of the things I think that could be kind of scientific if we could ever figure this out why this happens but that's the whole theory behind a residual haunting and that might have been what those coast guard guys encountered that night uh was maybe just the distress of that iron sides going down and so spooky um, that they were right over the shipwreck Ugh. wow yeah it's the same probably in the similar conditions with fog and everything else oh yeah oh yeah i mean just ugh, again the shipwreck they're just so spooky <laughs> to me i have i don't even like going in water like you cannot get me in lake michigan so to yeah. be diving in that and ugh, ugh, no yeah, the uh, I, I had a friend that was a, a big time sailor on Lake Michigan, and he said that what people don't realize is that not only do the weather conditions change, but the wave pattern is different than in the ocean. Like yeah. the ocean waves, like if you get your sea legs in the ocean and you don't get seasick, you could go on the Great Lakes and get seasick because the wave pattern it's smaller, and it's so it's much more rougher when they get bad weather. Um, than out in the ocean. The ocean, you'll have these big swells where you don't get that so much in the Great Lakes. It's if they do get swells, but there's in shorter wavelengths, and mm-hmm. it's um, much more destructive to ships. So it's kind of a an amazingly dangerous set of waters to be on. And there's it's not surprising there's been so many shipwrecks over the years. And oh uh, yeah. And, yeah, and you probably heard that we have allegedly allegedly our own Bermuda Triangle in Lake Michigan, which is known as the Lake Michigan Triangle. And I kind of feel like with you just saying, like there's so many shipwrecks because of the unique, the uniqueness of the lake um, and Mm -hmm. how destructive it can be. The triangle is supposed to go from Ludington down to Chicago over to like, I think like Milwaukee kind of does this Mm -hmm. little like bottom of the lake triangle. But that was one of the heaviest shipping routes so, of course, right. they're going to have a lot more accidents. I don't think mm-hmm. it has anything to do with a mysterious triangle. Uh, they, there's still shipwrecks they can't find to this day. We know they went down. We can't find them. It's it's not easy to find stuff. We don't have, like, yeah. uh, billions of dollars to spend to go scouring the bottom of, of Lake Michigan. So just because we yeah. can't find it doesn't necessarily make it some kind of mysterious supernatural thing where it blipped into, you know, some other dimension. Exactly. And even Superior is even deeper, I think is the deepest oh, yeah. of all of them. You yep. know? So, 
a lot of stories related to shipwrecks and ghosts, I would imagine, that we could talk about on that. But there is a uh, convention coming up that you're going to be a guest speaker at, the uh, Mid-Michigan Paranormal Convention happening in November. Yeah. Can we uh, talk a little bit about that? And um... these, these are great events. Um, we have a handful of them that happen in Michigan. So if you're someone listening to this and you love stories like this, you want to interact with other fun mm-hmm. little weirdos like myself, uh, these are wonderful places to go. Uh, this one is taking place in Mount Pleasant, like you said, on November 4th and 5th. Mm-hmm. You can get tickets just to go into the vending space, which have a lot of wonderful like people selling all kinds of cool things that just sort of pertain to like the our wonderful little paranormal community. And then there's speakers. Uh, there's I'll be speaking there, but there's a wide variety of people. Uh, some of the if you go, do not miss a presentation by John E.L. Tenney. He's one of okay. Michigan's national. He's like just one of our Michigan treasures. <laughs> he's wonderful. Okay. And uh, Bill Konkaleski will be talking about UFO related stuff. He runs our Michigan chapter of MUFON, which stands for the Mutual UFO Network. He's uh-huh. been on Netflix. He was just on Unsolved Mysteries talking about the 1994 UFO flap that happened over West Michigan. Wow. Uh, you have psychics, mediums, people that have been on Netflix, uh, other just all kinds of people. That will be speaking at this. Plus, it's at a casino, which is awesome because you can then yeah. go like party at night and have fun and drinks and, uh, you know, put a few quarters in the machine and see what, try your luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Soaring Eagle is a pretty nice place. I've been there for a few different uh, real estate conventions over the years, and it's always a very comfortable, pretty noisy if you get the wrong room. You know, if you're out by the, they had the big real estate party outside my window of the room I stayed one year. Oh, but, bummer. <laughs> the, the happy hour that went on till like four in the morning. You know, well, but. there's, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I think this is only the second year that they've done it at Soaring Eagle. They lost, they used to have it at a, it was a Holiday Inn Convention Center in Flint, but they, the building mm-hmm. got torn down and Soaring wow. Eagle approached them and said, hey, you want to? You want to try us? And they were like, sure. But there, there's an August. There's also the Michigan uh, Paranormal Convention that happens in Sault Ste. Marie. And that one is at the Kuwaitan Casino. They get a lot of really big names. If you're into the paranormal television stuff, uh, they usually mm-hmm. get a lot of those big people. Uh, they had Jack Osborne, Ozzy Osborne's son there this year. Oh, wow. And because he's been on a handful of paranormal shows throughout the years. He's interested in that. Um, and then you got, uh, a couple other small events that happen around Michigan. There is the old mill Paracon, which is in Dundee, Michigan. And that is a fundraiser for the old mill museum, which is great because I love when people who love the paranormal can help raise money for historical purposes. And that's what that yeah. event does. And that's been going on for a long time as well. Uh, and then we have a UFO conference for people that love those. Uh, the UFO con takes place in Houghton Lake. Uh, usually towards the end of September, and that's that's a phenomenal event. Um, I just spoke there this this year. I wasn't really talking about UFOs, but it, people that love this stuff love all kinds of stories. So uh, they're fun events. If you're into this this stuff, you you definitely will enjoy those. Yeah, I should check it out. There's a website on that, folks, called MidMichiganParacon.com. I'll put the link to that in the show notes. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of people that go to this thing, looking at the photos, looks like it's pretty well attended every year. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. So it's kind of a big deal if you and you get a few books. And I think Amber Rose will be signing some of her books there. Is that right? Yep. I'll have a vendor table. I try to be at my table, but it's hard to get me to yeah. like sit still for really long 
long, long yeah. amounts of time. So I try to be there at least in the afternoon and, and catch people, mm. especially after my talk. Yeah. yeah. I would imagine you'll block, you'll let people know what times you'll be at your booth. But, right. uh, well, that would be, um, sounds like a lot of fun. I may try to put that on my calendar this year and, and drive on up to Soaring Eagle and have yeah. a little adventure. And, it's, uh, it's, and it's kind of in a central location, which is nice. And there's a, I know there's a lot of people that don't want to travel over the Mackinac Bridge. And um, I know this event said they had a lot of older people that just said, we don't, we don't really travel well. We don't, we can't do a six hour trip somewhere. So it's nice mm-hmm. to have our little paranormal conventions like this sort of spread out uh, over the state. So other people yeah. can experience them. Yeah, definitely a lot of fun. So do you have any new books coming out yourself? Are you I'm, working on one right now? I'm not working on anything specific. I, I probably this winter, I will start going through my piles and piles and piles of research and seeing mm-hmm. what kind of things I have to organize into something. I'm doing a lot of, um, I built a website for one of the people I wrote about in my book, Mysterious Michigan, Marion Spore Bush. And she oh, okay. was a fascinating figure. Uh, Bay, Bay City's for, first female dentist turned kind of, I don't know, yeah, she, she painted with the help of ghosts. Let's just put it that way. That's the easiest wow. way. And I, there's a website out there. I've been trying to find as much of her artwork as I can. So I, I've been doing that this year. That was sort of my project after this one. So if you go to marionsporebush.com, you can learn a little bit about her and her uh, mysterious looking artwork, but we'll mm-hmm. see, we'll see what happens. I'm sure there's there. I know there's a fifth book in me. I don't know if I'm ready to, to write it just yet. And so <laughs> it's, there's something that will come. Oh, well, that sounds like uh, it's in the works. It'll come. It's, it's in the works. Right, we're, we're, we're looking for six, seven and eight. I mean, that's what we're looking <laughs> oh, God. for. <laughs> <laughs> so, Got to be around for a while. Those Ambrose right. Hammond books are just right. a lot of fun. <laughs> so I'll I'll put the links to Amber Rose's uh, websites in the show note descriptions, folks, so that you can check out her books and um, definitely get copies. I think she's also got her books on Amazon if you can't wait for that. Um, any other last-minute Halloween stories you want to share, Amber Rose? God, this is the busy year. I mean, they're a busy yeah. month. It's it's so – there's so much going on. People, People – I just love – how enthusiastic people are. I speak at a lot of libraries and they get their biggest turnout for programs during the month of October for stuff like just spooky. So I, I just love that. I love this time of year. Um, and I I don't know, I just hope everyone just go out and find your local spooky stories. I, I tried, if anything, with what I do, with what I research, I can't research every single corner of the state. So Mm -hmm. it is so much fun to get on a computer, get a subscription to newspapers.com or genealogy bank that have a lot of archived digitized newspapers and try just type in a couple keywords, type in haunted, type in ghost story and see what pops up. You never know what weird little things you're going to find from like the the early 1800s, you know, early 1900s about your area. And I, I do feel there's value in preserving our local ghost stories and because it's just it's part of our pop culture it's part of how we process the whole idea of death and how we kind of i don't want to say make light of it but it's just sort of Mm -hmm. sort of um eases the pain i guess a bit by sharing ghost stories and and legends and spooky stuff like this so yeah i don't know that i guess that's my little 
public service announcement. It it keeps you in connection (laughs) with that spiritual side of life in a way, even though sometimes it's regarded sometimes as being a bit kooky, but it's still, you know, something I think everybody has those little chilling moments in life where they, they don't feel like they're entirely alone when they really physically are alone somewhere, you know? So we've all had those moments where you turn around and nobody's there. Oh yeah. You're you're absolutely certain somebody was there, you know? So. Yep. Every, every person I encounter typically has had at least one or two strange anomalous moments in their life that they can't explain, or they know Mm -hmm. someone who they trust that has had something they can't explain. And whenever I give a presentation on ghosts, I will always have a few people hanging back, waiting for everyone to leave the room. And then they come up to me and go, I, I'm not crazy, but can I tell mm-hmm. you a story? And they always right. preface it with that. And I'm like, yeah, tell me your story because they just want to talk to someone that's not going to look at them like, oh, okay. Did you have too many drinks before you went to bed? Like they just, they want to be taken seriously because this stuff does happen, whether it's explainable yeah. or not, it it happens. And so I, I've had people, I've had like one woman at an event, she teared up while she was telling me the story and I got mm-hmm. chills from the story she told me. So it's, yeah. it's very real with people. Yeah, it is. It is. And there's probably a few ghost stories I could share with you, but we'll do that at a different time. (laughs) (laughs) When we're we're sitting around a fire somewhere with some s'mores or something. There we go. There we go. All right. Well, it's always a pleasure having you on the show, Amber Rose. And I look forward to hearing about your great success at your upcoming convention. Hopefully you sell a lot of books. And certainly um, we do look forward to you coming out with a new exciting book maybe next year or sometime. That would be fun. Awesome. Thank you for having me on, Michael. Yeah. And so I've been speaking with Ambrose Hammond. She's the author of several books on Michigan history in a lot of ways, but they're also legends and that sort of thing. And she does a really good job of presenting it in a abstract way where you can really look at it from both sides. And she puts a, a great collection of stories very interesting reads of her book so i highly encourage you to go get copies of them and if you'd like to reach out to me you can find me at michaeldelaware.com i'm always happy to hear from my listeners and until next time when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of southwest michigan's past thank you for listening <laughs>